writer, director, and contact wearer. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and very bad dog groomer, it turns out. Oh, you've been trying to clip Beans' nails? I tweeted this. Dog groomers should be paid $1 million per dog. Mm-hmm. And I will not take less than that. What has it been like? Has, has he tried to bite you? A little. And he, like, growls, which, if you've ever met Beans, he is a sentient potato. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I've never seen him have more life to him than when I touch his paw gently. Why not just take him to a groomer? I don't know. Are they even operating? Is that a good idea? I have no idea. I'm like, also like, okay, you can do this yourself, Gabby. How hard can it be? You're a grown woman. He's a 15-pound chihuahua. (laughs) Just like, he is strong. He will fight back. And you're not hurting him is the thing. Like, I talked to this dog groomer on Twitter about, like, best practices. Mm -hmm. And she was like, You have to remember that you are absolutely not hurting him. He just scared. Well, if you go too high, you hurt them. I'm absolutely not. I'm like doing the bare minimum just to make sure it's not like curled into his paw. Like I'm not hurting him in the slightest, but he doesn't speak English. So when I say I'm not hurting you, I'm not hurting you. He doesn't, he doesn't hear me. It sucks when you don't speak the same language as your dog. Yeah. So it's like, it's futile because I'm just holding him going, I'm not hurting you. He doesn't know what I'm saying. This is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty about dog grooming. Do you have to cut Sugar's nails all the time? Beans is like, click, clack, click, clack, all across the goddamn floor. I've never attempted to do it, but she's someone who needs to get groomed like every four to six weeks. I think they all should get $1 million from the government, each one, per dog. Because, wow, can I tell you something? I saw something on TikTok where this girl put peanut butter on a headband and then tried to distract the dog with the peanut butter to clip their nails. Absolutely. And I saw I, that as well. I try, I did it and it didn't work. It didn't. He didn't give two shits. And I'm giving him like a treat in between each nail. He doesn't care. My parents' dog got sent home from a groomer when they got him because he tries to bite so much. They really don't want you to touch their paws. And it's like, but honey, it's not hurting you. I don't understand. You don't know what his trauma is. You know what? You're right, Allison. I don't know what his trauma is. <laughs> We've got a great episode for you guys this week. We're going to be talking to Stephanie Hunter-Jones about sex therapy. And then later we're going to discuss self-confidence. What's the line between healthy and arrogant? Let me tell you, I don't know. But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous. Wisconsin. Anonymous asks, how do you cope with your dad working at a company headed by a bigot? Uh Uh-oh. Some context. My dad has been working for the same company since I've been born. 20 years. His boss is an ass for many reasons. He's also always on call and this has interrupted many important events and vacations over the years. He recently applied at a new company and has been offered a job that pays significantly more. However, the owner of the company, a woman, is one of the biggest supporters of Trump. She attended his inauguration and has spent millions of dollars supporting his current campaign. She is against LGBTQ rights and for assault weapons. This goes against all my morals and deeply upsets me that my father will be working for her. So let me just say this controversial hot take off the bat all bosses are bad i've never encountered personally a boss who wasn't um bad in some way i think like we're getting down to the sort of nitty-gritty of my personal feelings about capitalism i don't want to put that on the podcast but if you are in a position where you have risen to be the boss of something you're probably not the best that's not all of them but that is a majority my father has worked for many companies i don't i don't think i have personally seen him encounter a boss who wasn't a dick I have never encountered personally a boss who wasn't a dick. My sister has had bosses that she very much liked. So everyone has different experiences. But no, you can't expect a boss of anything to be perfect, to be like this boss that he had currently is an asshole. This next boss is like someone who you disagree morally with. Every boss is going to have problems. Now, that being said, it is tough because... Your dad as an employee is making money for himself, but also as an employee is making money for a company. I have mixed feelings. If he takes that money 
and is taking money from this person and uses it in ways that you agree with, such as donating to these causes or supporting you or takes her Trump supporting money and uses it for his own causes. That's one way to look at making capitalism work for you in a social justice scenario. Also, he is making money for her because his labor increases profits at her company. So it's kind of this thing where I know you're asking how you cope or whatever, but I'm going to let you in on a secret, which is that uh, capitalism sucks for everybody. I think you're being like a little nuts and acting like every boss is the same as like a rampant Trump supporter who donates millions of dollars to his campaign. No, not a rampant Trump supporter. But I just think you're ever you're never going to find a boss under capitalism who doesn't have problems. My dad was a boss. OK, I'm just saying like I I think that you're making these generalities that aren't necessarily accurate or helpful. No, I'm just saying that you can't expect your your father to work for a boss under capitalism or yourself to work for a boss under capitalism who's going to be a good person or even like friendly. I think there's this mistaken idea that when you work for a company, you have to 100% align with what the company does. And and honestly, like if unless you work for a nonprofit, that's probably not true. And also it's a systemic issue. Now, does your dad agree with this woman's policies? Does your dad just want a higher paying job? Does your dad just not want to work for this asshole that he's been working for for two decades? When I first read the question, my instinct was like, oh, my God, how could he take that job? That's terrible. But then I started to think about how it's very much about the person's privilege, right? Mm -hmm. So a successful white male who is doing well in corporate America and making a good living and then gets offered a job to work for a Trump supporter, I think it is abhorrent for them to take that job. Now, someone who is marginalized and underpaid and struggling and potentially in debt and like needs to support their family. And this is a great opportunity. Go for it. Like, I think it's very person to person in terms of like, like if the good outweighs the bad, you know, I think that a lot of people are lucky enough to be in a position where they don't have to work for people like that. Yeah. And therefore it is it is, I think, a little immoral to do. But if you're in a position where like you are getting continuously fucked by the American government and society Mm -hmm. and racism and oppression and all of this shit, fucking take the money. (laughs) But again, I think it's so case specific. I think it's like we we need a lot more details. Like if my dad fucking took a job for a Trump supporter, I would be furious with him because that's not something he needed to do. Right. That's not like... um, it's not like, oh, my God, we're, I'm just trying to survive. I'm, like, digging my way out of this hole. I just got to do what I, you know, like, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. would just be, like, a choice to be, like, a bit richer, you know? Right, yeah. Whereas I think that, you know, for a lot of people, it's the better of two terrible realities, you know? Yeah. And so in yeah. that case, I think it's like, yeah, take their money, spend their, spend, take their money and then donate some of it to Planned Parenthood, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to fight the resistance, maybe to make up for the fact that you're working for him. You can volunteer like an hour a week mm-hmm. on the weekends because now you're not going to be on call all the time. So you can give back a little more, you know, like do what you need to do maybe to feel a little bit better about it. And I think maybe that's something you can say to your dad. Yeah, I think if your dad acknowledges that it's not great, I don't think this needs to strain your relationship with him. If he's if he doesn't personally vote against LGBTQ rights, if he doesn't purposefully, like if he doesn't personally ascribe to any of these beliefs, then I think you got to cut him a little slack. I have trouble with friends, specifically friends who are queer, whose parents support policies that are anti-queer, but they maintain a very close relationship. There was just an episode of Drag Race where this one queen who's like extremely close with her parents is a gay, flamboyant drag queen. Uh, And the parents voted for Trump and stick by that vote, she said. And they're super close. To me, that's... That I don't get. I don't understand because... And I have friends who have this too, where like their parents would... If someone gay bashed them, the parents would literally murder the person who hurt their child. But then they feel comfortable voting for someone who wants their child to not have rights. And I can't understand that disconnect. And I'm lucky in that my parents are, again like crazy people, but in a way that is at least in line with my beliefs where I just, I can't, I can't figure out how you can divorce loving your child 
from wanting them to be safe. Does that make sense? There's so much cognitive dissonance happening whenever you vote for Trump. <laughs> like, yeah. Unless you are loudly a neo-Nazi who is against people yeah. having health care. Like you're, you're, you're lying to yourself in some way. So I'm sure that these people would say, oh, he, he is for LGBT rights. He said so in his original campaign. Who cares what his actual policies have been? Do you know what oh, I God. mean? Uh, they think that it doesn't affect their kid or something because I can see that but then it's also interesting the people who then choose to like remain close to their families mm -hmm. like my friends like this queen on drag race where it's like they they still remain super close to the family my therapist would argue there's some trauma there I would say that in this case though I think it'd be really beneficial to sit down and talk to your dad oh about yeah your feelings about why you're upset about this get to know to understand his reasoning and where yes. he's coming from and to just also talk about his personal beliefs and to either hopefully clarify that he doesn't agree with his boss's, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, stance. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe he could potentially do some good working in the company by maybe like, I don't know, working with human resources to have like a diversity initiative or, or something, you know, like I, I think that you need to maybe communicate about the situation with him. Yes. Instead of just like boiling it up and just like every day feeling mad. And be realistic and don't judge him. If he's like, we need the money, then like, you need the money. I don't but know. if he's like, we already have half a million dollars, <laughs> but I want a million dollars. <laughs> then I'd be like, ee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but who the fuck knows? I'd love a million dollars. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We have a very juicy interview with sexologist Stephanie Hunter-Jones. Ooh, Ooh, spicy. <laughs> Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Today on the show, we have clinical sexologist Stephanie Hunter-Jones. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. So first, I want to ask, what is a sex therapist versus a, a clinical sexologist versus like anything else in the field? Sure. Uh, clinical sexologists like myself actually have a Ph.D. in human sexuality. So my master's is in clinical psychology. Instead of doing just the little bit of extra training that uh, most therapists do, I went ahead and did the Ph.D., I'm also a certified sex coach, and some people are do what I do and are just the sex coaches, but I just wanted to have the most amount of training as possible so I can help the most amount of people. And so why would someone come to a sex therapist? I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but can you mention some of them? Sure. Uh, well, it's basically if something doesn't feel right with their sexuality, either uh, on an individual level or in their relationship, someone with my profession can help them get back on track because if you heal your sexuality, you heal your life. Well, like what sort of problems uh, would come up? Let's say if someone listening is like, do I need to, to go to sex therapy? What sort of things like do you see most often? Well, we have like uneven sex drives with couples, like one will want more mm -hmm. sex than the other. There's things mm -hmm. men can have erectile dysfunction, early ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, Females can have, uh, quote, low libido. Uh, there could be past sexual trauma that's preventing someone from living their sexual life to its fullest. I mean, you name it, I take care of it. I also help people who have fetishes and kinks and or have a lot of shame around that. So I help them and then I help their partners to understand that and work with them in that way. And I also uh, work with uh, people in open relationships. I help them keep their relationships strong and healthy and set good boundaries so that they enjoy themselves while maintaining the integrity of their relationship. What made you specialize in sex and uh, sexuality after getting your master's? I grew up in a very conservative religious environment and I was shamed in regards to sexuality. And so mm -hmm. by the time I became a, a young adult, I had a lot of sexual concerns. And it brought me a lot of pain. So it took me many years of healing 
to work through that. So then I was able to see how sex and sexuality can heal who we are as a person. So because of that transformation I went through, I just wanted to help others in the same way. Why do you think that coming to terms with your sexuality is so important in feeling whole and stable as a person? Well, because we are born sexual beings, which so it's in our nature, it's who we are. But because of society or culture or religion, we are molded and shaped to believe a certain way or to think a certain way. And sometimes those ways aren't healthy because it denies that beautiful, special part of ourselves. Do you feel like there's a very different relationship to sex uh, from country to country and culture to culture? Uh, yes, without a doubt, without a doubt, for sure. Uh, and, and religion to religion as well. I mean, the first thing mm-hmm. I do with my clients, I find out uh, about their upbringing. Uh, was there religion involved? What was the message in the household regarding, regarding sex? sexuality regarding female sexuality and male sexuality because oftentimes people are, grew up with in a household where it was okay for the male to express himself sexually but not the female so i try to find out mm-hmm. as much as possible about their early years their upbringing that might be influencing them or hindering them on some level now right because a lot of times even if you don't think that something that happened when you were a kid is affecting you 20 30 years later it really is having this big impact. Absolutely, without a doubt. Yes. What does a typical session look like? Is there exercises in the session that you do if you're with someone or is there a lot of homework that couples or individuals have to go home and complete? Yes, for me, I'm solution focused. So my goal is always the client's goal. I'm also highly intuitive. So I use my intuition a lot when working with individuals and couples. I can kind of sense what's going on with them. So Mm -hmm. my sessions are pretty much similar to talk therapy, but I do assign quite a bit of homework that I make it quite clear to the client uh, is equally as important as the sessions themselves. And I'm really good at pushing people out of their comfort zone. That's what I want to do because that's what we have to do sometimes to get in touch with our sexualities, get out of our comfort zones. I'd say absolutely. I mean, I would would imagine that more often than not, people who come to you are, are resistant to be in mm-hmm. the room, right? And maybe they've been mm-hmm. recommended by their regular therapist or their partner has encouraged it, mm-hmm. but you're probably meeting a lot of resistance, at least at first. Uh, it can happen, but I'm pretty good within the first few minutes to make people feel really comfortable. Either I crack some jokes <laughs> or I just start getting right down and dirty about it and giggling and laughing. <laughs> I had one client, he said that he was, he told me the second session that he was extremely nervous, that he didn't tell me the first session about coming and he, he thought he was going to even throw up before he came in the session and this and that. And uh, it was him and his wife. And then at that second session, I said, oh, well, are you doing okay now? He goes, oh yeah, you're the gangster of love. thank you steve miller man well so yeah because i think like a big thing is people i think probably assume that they're going to come into sex therapy and it's going to be so serious um and i think like a Mm -hmm. huge thing is is to try to take the like intensity and seriousness off off sex right is that sort of why you try to make it more jokey actually uh people take sex way too serious right Sex is supposed to be very playful and fun and very loving, and it becomes something very serious. Now, that that being said, sometimes that happens because of past trauma. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I help the client and I work with them to get through that pain. And I've seen a lot of pain when it comes to sexuality. And let me tell you something, there's a lot of pain out there. And if you are hurting like that, do not hesitate to reach out to someone like me to get help because you can heal from that pain. What do you think is the best way to like talk to your kid about sex for the first time? And like at what age would you recommend a parent start to like address those things? And how do you how do you create like a, a healthy environment around sex? Uh, by not sex shaming uh, when the child is very young and they're touching themselves. 
you tell them, all of us touch ourselves at a very young age, uh, even as toddlers, we start to play down there because it feels good. That's a natural thing to do. Never do something like slap their hand or shame them for that. You tell them, you know what, that's completely natural what you're doing, but that's to be done in private. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then just keep an open dialogue with them. Um, there's all kinds of wonderful books for children that are out there. And sometimes parents shame children for their sexuality because of their own fears about sex. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. afraid that they're going to go out and have a lot of unprotected sex, so they they scare them with with sex, and they're they're doing it because of their own fears about sex. So the best thing for a parent to do, if you want to raise your child uh, in a healthy environment regarding sex, is to take a look at your own beliefs about sex and if they are healthy. I think also there's this reluctance to see children as fully formed people or to see them as as complex or as people in the sense that like, mm-hmm. you know, you have people, co- I'm queer and you have people come and say like, well, you know, an elementary schooler can't possibly know if they're gay. And it's like, well, I mean, we definitely put babies in shirts that say lady killer. So I feel as though we've really put straight culture mm-hmm. on them. So yeah, I think right. um, there's also a part mm-hmm. of it where they don't want to, believe that children have sexuality or any curiosity around sexuality, but obviously they do. Yes, all of us do. A lot of us thought it was taken from us at a very young age because we were told that's naughty and that's shameful. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as uh, gay, some people know from a very young age they're gay, and some people it takes some time throughout their life to realize that. Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong when it comes to our sexuality. It just is. Mm-hmm. It's fluid. It's beautiful. It just is. What advice do you give to a couple if if their uh, sex drives are not equal? Well, I would have to first find out if one partner has an overactive sex drive, and then I would have to find out if the other partner has an underactive sex drive, and then those would the, be the areas I would treat. Also, sometimes there's underlying things going on within the relationship itself that has turned one partner off sexually. I do things a little backwards than most therapists. Most therapists talk about life, and then a lot of people, a lot of therapists don't even aren't comfortable talking about sex. I dive right into sex. And when I hear what's going on with someone or a couple sexually, I usually know what's going on in their life and what's going on in the relationship. What do you mean? How? By knowing what what's going on with their sexuality. It's hard to explain. Now, that could be tied with my intuition, but I, I know when they tell me what their problem is, it's going to be this, this, or this. And so I start narrowing it down, narrowing it down. Uh, but I know what's happening in the relationship itself. For instance, I would know, okay, one of them must be too controlling. I don't know. I can tell. I know. And so I lead them that way. And sure enough, I'm pretty much always right. In fact, often what I do, I write down certain things and I circle it. And then when it comes up later in the session, I show them that I had wrote that down at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think people think it's like they try to separate it out from the rest of the relationship. And they think that like, oh, it's just this problem in the bedroom. But 99% of the time, it is indicative of like a larger uh, issue between Mm -hmm. the two people. I mean, if it's also this thing, I think people don't realize that like, in the beginning of a relationship, there might be like a lot of sex happening. And then they seem to Mm -hmm. think that like, if it slows down later on, that means something terrible. But like it, it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, sex is always a symptom, whether it's our own individual self or a couple. Yeah. Sex is a symptom for something else that's going on. Now, as far as slowing down, yes, because when we're first with someone, there's a lot of chemicals in the brains that's being released to us. Mm -hmm. So we're almost on this high. So once that honeymoon phase is over and the chemicals have calmed down, that is when true intimacy can begin in the relationship. Yeah. What is true intimacy? Intimacy is being vulnerable with your partner. Mm -hmm. So it's something completely different. So when all that honeymoon phase is over, things get real. And that's your opportunity to really build intimacy, really start seeing each other for who you are, really start building that connection. And sex is something that has to be maintained as a priority and you have to keep working at it. It's like if you want to keep your body in good shape, you can't work out for a year and say, okay, I'm done for the rest of my life. I'm going to look good. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) 
You have to make it a priority. And sex, when you're talking about a relationship, once it starts, even if you're like, I don't feel like it, you got to make yourself get in there and do that workout. You have to keep that muscle strong. You got to keep it a priority. When we're talking about sex and intimacy, I think people have this mistaken idea that sex is like uh, something goes in a hole and we're, and that's it. A lot of times, I think like it gets too separated and people are like, well, we don't have sex anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, but do you like cuddle naked? Do you like do hand jobs? Mm -hmm. Like other things are happening that are intimate Mm -hmm. that. And so like, it's not like necessarily Mm -hmm. like if you're like, oh, I don't feel like having sex. It's like, okay, but do you want to like cuddle your partner? Do you want to like look into each other's eyes? And like, you know, there's other things that are intimate that I think we discount in favor of like a a penis went into a vagina versus what you're talking about, which is like true Mm -hmm. intimacy. That's a very good example of intimacy versus sex. Mm -hmm. Sex is primarily penetration. Now, sex can be had with intimacy and attached to it, right. but it doesn't always have to, right? Because when we think when we think of intimacy, we think of vulnerability, and this is why I explain it to my couples to think it needs to be this Disney Hollywood sex every time. Think of intimacy sex as Thanksgiving dinner. It's fabulous. It's wonderful. It tastes so good. But do you want to do it every day? No, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. So sometimes we need something quick and fast and good, and it doesn't have to have all that vulnerability and emotions involved. Mm -hmm. That's okay too. So you need it both ways. You got to have it both ways. It needs to be the balance. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with what Gabby was saying that you don't necessarily need to do sexual acts to maintain the intimacy? Or are you more of the point of view that you need to have those like acts surrounding genitals for it to be sex? I think it varies from person to person and couple to couple and whatever works for Mm -hmm. that couple. I'm okay with, I'm good with. If they feel like they are satisfied Mm -hmm. with just cuddling naked or, or mutual masturbation, if that's okay with them, then that's great. Yes. That's their, their form of sex. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. If they're fulfilled in that, that's great. I think people put too much pressure on on penetration, to be honest. Penetration and orgasm is actually a very small part of sex. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think that there's a there's a lot of focus on, on uh, completion. That Yeah, that is about porn, usually often. Uh, so oftentimes, mm. I will assign assignments, making couples do everything but that. Oh. Mm. Yeah, there's so many ways. That's a really great homework. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like sometimes couples have to break up just because they're they're not sexually compatible, even if the rest of their relationship is working? Uh, again, my goal is always the client's goal. I never pass judgment uh, or give my opinion either way. If they want to stay and work it out, uh, that's great. If they decide that they want to part as friends, I help them do that as well. So I have no opinion on that either way. What about people who are historically monogamous and then they meet someone who is polyamorous mm-hmm. and then they, they try to be polyamorous? Have you Is that something you've seen be successful or people tend to, like it's hard to sort of switch between the two? Well, when someone identifies as poly or swingers or open, to me, they're on a sort of a different level energetically because they've oftentimes, not always, been able to overcome things like jealousy and possessiveness. And if they're doing it for the right reason, if they're coming from a place of love and they're wanting to experience and give as much love as they can through sexuality, then that's a healthy place to be. There's people there that do it for unhealthy reasons too. But if say there's someone that's coming from a, a healthy place meet someone who's monogamous, they're not on the same playing field. Mm -hmm. That monogamous person hasn't came to that level yet. Now, perhaps that person could be a bit open and get there. I have encountered that. I have worked with couples where one wanted to open up the relationship and one did not. And I helped guide that individual in allowing them to understand what it was about and guiding them as a couple 
towards a successful open relationship. But sometimes people are just monogamous. I, I'm polyamorous and I've dated a lot of uh, people who were monogamous when we started and then have been like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm op- like now I'm open or whatever. And largely those have mm-hmm. not been as successful for me as meeting other polyamorous people. Mm-hmm. Well, monogamy is a choice. Right. And I respect that choice. But we do not come out of the vagina monogamous. <laughs> that is something we are taught <laughs> when we grow up. Again, it's a choice. And I totally respect that choice when people make it. But it's not the way you were born. Mm. <laughs> I had an ex-boyfriend who used to say monogamy is a fetish. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's, I like that. I know. Fetish, with a fetish, you can have sex without it. Yes. So that's interesting that he said that. What would you say to someone who has a fetish but feels uncomfortable sharing it with their partner? Uh, First of all, when you have a fetish, the first thing you have to do is own it and be proud of it. Mm -hmm. It, It's what makes you different and unique. We're not all meant to be vanilla. If you own it and if you're not ashamed of it, then you can open it up to a a partner and that they could be open to it as well. So a lot of Mm self-acceptance. It takes a lot of self-acceptance and you do have to seek partners who are not rigid. And Mm -hmm. when my clients that come in that have fetishes have a serial dating problem of rigid partners that immediately tells me, that they're not comfortable with it. That's why they're attracting that rigid partners. Or they want someone to tell them it's wrong. Like they want someone, they believe that they are wrong. So they want someone to tell them that it's wrong. I mean, I dealt with that with polyamory where I would date these monogamous people because I believed polyamory, even though I was someone who thrives much better in open relationships, I was like, something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I'm wrong. So then when I would date monogamous people who would come back at me and be like, yeah, that's wrong. I would be like, okay, good. Self-fulfilling prophecy. And I see that a lot with fetishes too. It's like, oh, okay, well, if this person can keep me from myself who is wrong, then they're, then I will be good enough for them which is uh, just a right. circle, just a snake eating its own tail of problems for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. My fetish is the game hypotheticals. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> you guys oh, okay. would love to play. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, okay. So- <laughs> <laughs> I'm never very good at games. Uh, this game yeah. has no rules, so I think you'll be fine. <laughs> Basically, you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask clarifying questions about those situations, and then you decide what you would do. Um, and I uh, either say it was a good answer or a bad answer, just All right, based on how I'm it. feeling in the moment. Okay. <laughs> okay. So our first game is, would you stay with this cheater? Your spouse of five years goes away for the weekend to attend a conference on the Kama Sutra. When they come back, they know a plethora of new positions. A few months later, you were looking over your bills and realized they didn't go to a conference on the Kama Sutra. They went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Would you stay with this cheater who has been pretending to be a certified Kama Sutra specialist? Okay, wait, hold on. Where did they learn the new positions from? Just the internet. Wow. Why did they do this? Do you mean cheater or you mean liar? Uh, in this scenario, technically liar. Okay, liar. They were, they were pretending to be something that they weren't. Also, uh, how is the rest of the relationship and how is the sex? It's been a lot better since they went to that conference. <laughs> then I would probably keep his ass. (laughs) (laughs) But why, Allison, I don't understand. Why did he say he went to, why did he lie? He thought it was like really uncool to want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. <laughs> so he, but he, so then, okay, so then he felt judged by you. That's so sad. It is. Wow. Well, so I would, okay, I would want to know why did he feel like I would judge him? I'm so sorry. Let's, let's build a thing where we um, can tell each other about our goofy things that we want to do. Where mm-hmm. you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with I him next time? I would love to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Someone please invite me. <laughs> So it sounds like we would both keep it. Yeah, we would both stay. Mm -hmm. I I hate to break it to you, but at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he fell in love with someone else. (laughs) No! That's the way it goes. He met someone with his interests. (laughs) Yeah, it was... uh, I wanted to say a rock and roller, and I couldn't think of anyone. It was Mick Jagger. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our second game. Are you a terrible parent? 
Your seven-year-old walks in on you having sex with your spouse. They loudly shout, are you having sex? And in a panic, you reply, no, call 911. <gasps> this happened on SVU. You then convince them your spouse is having a medical emergency and that's why they're naked. The ambulance mm -hmm. comes and you have to spend $5,000 for no reason, but your kid doesn't have the memory of seeing their parents have sex. Are you a terrible yes. parent? I'd like to add that while at the hospital, a nurse spots a malignant mole on your spouse's head and they get it removed in time. <laughs> I would say I would say those parents need to go to a clinical sexologist because <laughs> they obviously yeah. have some issues with sex. Yes, they yeah. have their own shame that they just had. It had to jump out. That's right. Although I will say, finding the the malignant mole does seem worth it. It's yeah, a twist. Hmm. I would say uh, what we can take from this story is you need a lock on your bedroom door. <laughs> That's a good point. You need a lock on your bedroom door and a yearly checkup at your dermatologist. <laughs> wow. There you go. Okay, our final game. Is this person an alien or just rude? While at a house party, the host's 70-year-old mother walks around pointing at people and saying yes or no. When you ask the host what their mom is doing, they admit she is making a mental list of who she would sleep with at the party. <laughs> Are they an alien or just rude? She said no oh, to you. Oh, rude. I think rude. Uh, I would doubt that would ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I can't even think about that scenario because that just wouldn't happen. <laughs> nice. Absolutely perfect. Well, that's the perfect answer. That's perfect. That's a perfect answer. Thank you so much. Oh, it's Thank been my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find more about your work? You can check me out at huntersisters.com because I have my own YouTube show as well with my fabulous Ooh. sister who's an amazing therapist. Aww. And we got some great episodes that you can learn a lot about. We ha we give good advice on how to live your life. So that's <laughs> huntersisters.com. Thank you so amazing. much. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about self-confidence, which is clearly very important. Back to just between us. It's time for topics. X X X X X X X X X X X three X's because of our last combo, baby. Ooh, scandalous! Would you call this podcast R rated? I would. Um, I'd say a strong PG thirteen. Woo! So this week I wanted to talk about self confidence because it's been a real journey for me. Uh huh. But it's also can be problematic no hard disagree <laughs> hard disagree this might be one of the things you and i disagree on the most out of like everything i don't think that we disagree on the importance of having self-confidence i think we disagree on how you then show it to other people okay because i felt as though you chose this topic just like as a read on me <laughs> no I'm just rapidly running out of topics. No, because I was like, we do very much disagree on on this. I think your self-confidence should border on delusion. Like, I think you should be so confident. I think that nothing comes to you unless you believe it wholeheartedly. You got to buy it. You got to sell it. But you don't think that that can be problematic thinking and people not ever thinking that they're wrong about something and not ever learning or taking in other people's experiences? No, 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 no. No, you can. I I think I think I don't think it necessarily means that, but I think you I think you have to like think that you're the goddamn best. What's difficult <laughs> is I think growing up, I was taught that like modesty and humility are really important, especially for women, right? Like if you got a compliment, you were supposed to be like, thank you so much. Or even like, no, 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 no. Or no, no, no. Yeah, or like, I got on sale. I'm just, it's the lighting. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't, you know, I'm just, I was sick last week. That's why I look a little thinner. Like, you know, like. Yeah, I make whatever it is. But now, like, I, I find, like, I have this new confidence and I started to do this thing where, like, if I was trying on stuff in a store, I'd be like, this looks awesome. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is, like, something I never did before. And I, mm -hmm. I liked doing that. Like, I liked being like, don't I look great? <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> but I also think that there is something about arrogance that is off-putting, at least to me. Well, arrogance, for me, the problem was not believing that you were wrong and being so sure in your opinions that you weren't taking into account that those could change. Mm -hmm. Now, I change my mind every five minutes. I change my mind every day. I was talking to Mal about something where I had fought them so hard on something and then the next day I was like, I thought about it and you were right. And Mal's like, well, what changed? And I was like, oh, I'm a, literally, I'm a Gemini. I thought about it for like five seconds and then I was like, wow, me from yesterday was wrong. Like, I don't know. Like, it's (laughs) like, you know, like where people are like, gosh, look at me from five years ago. I was so different. I'm like, wow, me 24 hours ago was really different. Like, I'm changing constantly. But I always feel like I don't think anyone's out of my league. And and maybe that people are out of my league, but me not believing that they are has actually led to them not being out of my league. Does that make sense? Totally. Me me believing that I can like achieve something has led, I think, to me achieving what I've achieved. Because I've never been like, no, I couldn't possibly. And I've also never been like, uh, uh no, I, I'm this person is better looking than me or better than I don't know. Like, it's been such a relief to just be like, like my partner mentions it all the time where Mal's like, you literally just go, wow, it's crazy how hot I am. And and Mal's like, I can't believe you just like do that. And I'm like, why, why, why am I wasting time being like, I'm not hot. That's a waste of everyone's time. Like, like, I'm just going to walk around being like, no, stop it. Like, I understand that. I, I, I also think that like, Nothing is prompting that, right? I think that I think that that kind of thing is like arrogance. Like it's a little different. Like I think that self-confidence is something that you have with yourself and something yeah. that you think and that you feel about yourself and I absolutely think it's so important and gaining self-confidence completely changed my entire life. But mm-hmm. I also don't think it's something that you need to like throw in other people's faces all the time. No, but I also find it funny. Like I'll post stuff to Instagram now and just be like, "Hello, I'm hot." Like, and I think it's fun. And I also think it sets a nice example where people Mm -hmm. then feel it's okay to say that about themselves because you feel it's okay to say that about yourself. Like, I would feel okay with that posting it on Instagram, but like in a conversation one-on-one with another person, I find arrogance off, like very off-putting. Like, I feel like it's important as women to like, on social media to show that we're confident, to show that we're self, you know, that, yeah. we, that we have this great relationship with ourselves. But I think it's like a little different when you get into like private conversations and private interactions where like, I don't think self-confidence needs to equate being full of yourself. And I think sometimes people cross that line. In my mind, I'm like, why, why lie? Like, but why I, is it relevant? Why even bring it up? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because if we're talking about something or if someone's like, it has come up or like a friend is like, oh, well, yeah, I want to try to like ask this person out. And I'm like, you should. You're very good looking. I don't, And if they were like, oh, no, I'm not. I would be like, well, that's just a lie. Like, why are we lying? Like, but I that, feel like again, that's like a specific reason where that's what you're talking about. Like, yeah, like, you know, I think that we've had I love just in the middle of a conversation being like, look at how cute I am. Wow. Especially because we've been FaceTiming so much. So you can like see yourself in the corner. <laughs> Mal was like, oh, I was talking to my friend Drew and I was like, Mal's mad that I don't look at them when we FaceTime. And then Drew was like, you look at yourself, right? And I was like, yeah, duh. And Drew's like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And Mal's like, no, it's not. Right. So again, <laughs> I think we have very different opinions on this. You know, I think that we've been lucky to have some pretty cool professional success. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I, I I rarely bring that up unless like I have to. You also, can I tell you something? You feel uncomfortable like when a guest is hanging up and they say like, by the way, I love the show. Like you guys are incredible. Thank you so much. You you always want to cut that from the episode. And I always want to leave it because I think it's like people should know that other people like us. People but- should... <laughs> But you you find it self-serving. You're like, we don't need to include that. The audience should know this. If you write in an international question and you do a second paragraph where you say a bunch of nice things about us, Allison won't read it. <laughs> she won't read it because she doesn't want to read the part where you're like, by the way, you guys changed my life or whatever. And I'm like, no, people should know that we are out here changing lives. See, I'm like, oh, that's so wonderful. That person wrote that. And that means a lot to me. But why do I need to share that with everybody? Here we go. Here's the TED talk. People can't know that they want to be part of what you're doing or like, I feel like I want to be a fan of a thing that I know other people love. And I want to be part of a community that I think is helping people and want to be a part of something that 
feels like other people love it mm. because it makes me feel less alone. So when I hear on a podcast that like they got a, a message and someone's like, by the way, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, good. For, yay. Good. My my people that I like are getting support. And also, yeah, I agree. I think that they're really great. And like it feels makes me feel validated as a fan. I like to share and post and retweet and like do stuff that is compliments of me because po the positivity of people liking you attracts more people to like you and attracts more work your way. People want to work with people who look successful. People want to work with people who other people are really into and enjoy their art. And if you can show that people are enjoying your art, then that opens the door for more people to enjoy your art. And that's my TED talk on confidence. See, I... I agree with you, and you've just completely changed my mind about reading that stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> but again, I think that that's us looking at it from a business point of view versus an interpersonal point of view. But I think that people would, even if I wasn't famous, people would they would be like, "Oh, do I want to date someone who's like nobody ever wants to date me, or do I want to date someone who's like I'm hot, everyone should want to be with me, or why I would want to date somebody who is just like in the moment and not giving me the reviews of other people. Like I, <laughs> I want a full Yelp page. I guess it's my aversion to it makes me think other people have an aversion to it. And I could be wrong about that. Maybe nobody else is, a, is averse to arrogance, but I, oh, I find it incredibly off-putting. People don't like me. I'm not <laughs> expecting everyone to like me. Like, I think for a large portion of the population, I'm unbearable. And I just am like, oh, well, not for you. Mm -hmm. And also that's been interesting for me as like a creator and an artist, because like, I think it's been so helpful to just be like, when people aren't into it, to be like, Listen, I get it. I'm not into everything I listen to. Go with God. If you are a person who doesn't enjoy like boisterous, like barely self-aware arrogance, then like I understand you're not going to you're not going to be here for this. Yeah, I guess I guess for me, I am much more focused on like my own relationship to me. And so mm -hmm. like I used to talk so negatively about myself. Yeah. And now I don't really. But I, I don't then need to like switch that in with me talking like so positively about myself, you know, <laughs> like now yeah. I try to just like be and if you ask a question, like I'll, I'll answer it, but I'm not going out of my way to like prove my worth to you. Yeah, but don't you feel like when you like get something good, like your secret thing that's happening, aren't you like, great, I deserve this. Like, I'm going to make this the best. I'm great at this. You have to at least lie to yourself and say that while you're doing it. Otherwise, you'll crumble. I think that I, you know, yeah, I just sold something I can't talk about. And I, at the time, I, you know, at first I was like, fuck yeah. Now I'm like, oh my God, can I do this? And I can see myself shifting a little back into like, I almost feel like I need to say that I can't do it. Whereas like, really? I don't need to say that. I can just do it. Like, I know no. I'm going to do it. There's no scenario where I'm not going to complete the project. Like, I have right. to just... I think it's just like a, an old habit of being like, this is hard. So therefore I have to show some insecurity about it. But I like, no, I don't need to do that. No, you have to just be like, thank God this is overdue. Now I have to, <laughs> now I get to do the thing. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it's good to think that, but I would not yeah. share those thoughts with someone else. And well, that's where we differ. Yeah. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Tamika, come on in and share your thoughts on, on self-confidence versus arrogance versus Gabby versus Allison. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation. I actually had a question for Allison. I couldn't tell like if you were put off by like people who are very like self-confident or people who are very self-centered. See, I think that self-confidence is something that isn't necessarily verbal. It's more just like the way that you carry yourself or the way you interact mm. in the world. And it, it implies a lack of insecurity and putting yourself down. I am put off by people who brag. I don't like bragging. And I, I don't like bragging and I don't like people who only care about themselves. No. How are people going to know that our show is the best and we're the best if we don't read our brags? But again, I distinguish between like what we have to do on social media to like boister our business versus our yeah. friendships and our families and our romantic relationships like I act differently like like yes I understand that like I have to go into a meeting and I have to sell myself and I have to say all the shit that I've done and I have to act like super cool and confident mm -hmm. but I'm not like on my first date with Jake I like wasn't doing that you know like that's 
it, it's different for me. Josh Gottelman and I have a thing in our friendship where we'll we'll text and say, can I brag for a bit? But see, that's then, different. Like I, yeah. you know, like I think that there's like a time and a place for it. And it's like, mm-hmm. absolutely, you share your wins with the people you care about 100%. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you don't need to keep reminding them of that. You know, like you don't need to keep bringing it up. Well, hard disagree. Okay. <laughs> what do you think, Tamika? I think there is a different way that people are comfortable connecting with one another. And um, some people feel when someone's consistently talking Mm -hmm. about their achievements, it feels more like a competition to them rather than them feeling like, you know, oh, this person is just talking. Like they just understand that's part of their personality and they can connect with that type of person. Uh, And then some people are just like, we want to have an authentic connection and we just want to talk about other things other than achievements. And this, both are totally fine. No. Yeah. Which one are you, Tamika? I I can talk about my achievements occasionally, but I don't often because I don't want people to feel like I'm trying mm-hmm. to impress them. Like I, I feel like I don't know, especially in Los Angeles. I'm not. I'm from the Midwest, and that's just not not how people really talk to one another. You don't really talk about your achievements a lot in the Midwest. You're mm-hmm. just very like you really try and make people feel very welcome in a conversation. And uh, you don't know if it's going to be off-putting by saying, you know, I've done this, I've been here, I've done this. You don't want them to feel belittled. I just have been raised to not talk about my achievement much. But since I've lived around the country, like I find talking about the things I've experienced can actually open the conversation more. So it's kind of a balance. Yeah, I think it's a balance. It's not so much talking about my achievements. It's more talking about experience. I found out you have a like a local Emmy from Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so you keep it you keep it close to the chest. But what Allison said, that's sort of like business. It's on Instagram, but it doesn't need to be in my conversation. Yeah. I would never stop talking about it. <laughs> what do we rate the episode? I rate it six out of five uneven sex drives. Oh, well. And I made it right, baby. Six out of five. It's uneven. I would rate it 40 out of 40 capitalism is a nightmare for us all great <laughs> tamika i didn't think of one <laughs> tamika come on so like maybe five out of five lizzo's but she has great confidence i love watching her but i don't know like i i don't need to be lizzo but i like hearing her talk about how confident she is yeah i that love lizzo true. i love lizzo's vibe <laughs> oh and mine yeah, is so yeah. different <laughs> Okay, I'm just kidding. It's wildly different and there's a lot we could say about that. Anyway, (laughs) thank you, Stephanie Hunter-Jones, for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon and our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Sexy! What a cool, light, sexy episode, you know? Oh my God. Stitcher.